What is up, everybody? Coming to you live from my parents' house. We got episode 34 of the Changabi Show. Uh, welcome. For those of you that are new, I am the host, Anish Changabi, a.k.a. for today at least, I'm going to be your abortion correspondent. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my role today. But I'll get into more of what we're talking about today. In just a second here, I just wanted to take a quick second to say this. This week, this past week, has been pretty tough. Uh, and there's been a lot going on in my life recently. So I do apologize uh, for not having a show last week and just having the after show. Uh, it's been quite a bit chaotic. So just been trying to balance a lot of stuff recently. And, uh, um, but we're back on track, I think, for the most part, at least for a little bit here. So we'll be back on track for for uh, a few months, I would like to think. And uh, if we're not, then we'll take it by ear. That's just life, I guess, right? So anyway, we're done with all that shit. We're done with the bullshit. We're done with the balancing. So what are we talking about today? Listen, I kind of wanted to change up the format of the show a little bit. I know on this show, we're so used to going ADHD, moving from topic to topic, going fast, going quick. Um, and really, you know, trying to get as much information in as possible in an hour, but I kind of wanted to take it slow today. Kind of wanted to slow it down for a second, uh, and really focus on one particular headline because I feel like I got a good amount to say. I've done a lot of research in the past on this particular topic. For those of you that have been here since the beginning, you know how much, uh, information I do really know about this topic. So I figured, fuck it. Let's, uh, let's dive right in because there's been a huge update in abortion. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, if it hasn't been more obvious already, we are talking about abortion today and we are talking about whether the mission should be aborted. What do I mean by the mission being aborted? Well, hopefully by the end you figure out what exactly has been going on. But basically, for those of you that don't know, this past week, uh, this yeah, actually it's been a week. So this past Monday, because I'm recording this the next Monday, there was there was a document that that was basically leaked to Politico, which is a news organization, uh, by someone in the Supreme Court. We don't know who that is. Uh, and it was a draft of Judge Samuel Alito's opinion in regards to an abortion case. Uh, and through this draft, it was basically revealed that the court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, which has basically been in power for many years. Uh, or basically been instituted for many years since the 70s, uh, and it's basically made abortional constitutional. This wanted to make abortion, un or this overturning of Roe v. Wade would make abortion unconstitutional. I want to kind of look at this from a lot of different perspectives. And I think one of the perspectives that honestly is lost in this whole, I mean, you mentioned abortion once in this country, and everybody just gets all defensive and has their guards up. And really just starts, you know, fighting each other. So let's take it back, right? What is what is one of the more concerning things about this entire abortion headline that deserves to be talked about, but yet it has been seen as something that is incredibly, incredibly uh, under the radar? That's the fact that the Supreme Court literally had a document leaked. It literally had a document leaked, and no, and. People aren't saying anything. 
this I mean this is a matter of national security here. This is a, a Supreme Court draft. The, these are supposed to be some of the documents that should be on lock for a significant amount of time, but yet it's been leaked. I mean, the leak this leak of the document might single-handedly be one of the biggest leaks in the country's history besides Watergate. I feel like this is up there. This has to be this is up there with Watergate. For sure, you're you're leaking in a government opinion. You're leaking a U.S. Supreme Court's opinion to the world. Uh, this is this is beyond belief. You would think that in 2022, the United States government would have a hyper secure system, whether that be through a whether that be through cyber or whether that be through just documents being in normal people's hands. Uh, this should concern people from the fact that this is a matter of like national security in a lot of ways and that this document was leaked and that the process of the Supreme Court was basically put out in front of pu the public. And of course, it's going to lead to free people out. I mean, the concern is that like how how would the why would the American not why, but how did the American government let potential uh, the American Supreme Court let potentially a landmark decision? This is going to be a landmark decision uh, come out like this, like like this, like I, it's it's weird. I, and that's what leads me to believe that there's more to the surface than we're seeing. Put on the tinfoil hat for a second, right? We we could get all conspiratorial for a second here. Uh, I I if I were to put on the conspiracy theory hat right now, and you were to ask me, Anuj, what what is going on with the Supreme Court? I would say this is probably a situation where the Supreme Court wanted to test the waters of what it would be like if it was purposely leaked. And they purposely leaked the document to Politico uh, just to kind of see what the nation's reaction would be. But I feel like these justices are smart enough to know that this decision would be outraged, would lead to outrage across this country, would lead to a lot of people getting very pissed off. I don't know. I feel like they wanted to test the waters, but also at the same time, like I feel like they knew exactly what they were getting into. Uh, but again, that, that what I'm saying has no basis and should not be cited. Like I, I it's just a tinfoil kind of speculative guess that I have. But basically what was leaked, right? Let's get back to the facts here. Basically, what was leaked was that Samuel Alito, uh, who's one of the justices, uh, one of the associate justices on the Supreme Court, uh, wrote a draft for the majority opinion in regards to this abortion case. And basically what it says is, uh, in short, in its legal TLDR, is abortion would be unconstitutional. Uh, and, and so that leaked. And since then, we've kind of seen this uh, aftershock and the results that have been going down with that. In terms of people who could have leaked it, I have a couple of theories. I think one of the people, one of the people, uh, one type of person that had motive to leak this is maybe a clerk on the Supreme Court. Uh, for those of you that don't know who clerks are, they kind of work under one of the justices and they're like up and coming attorneys. And one of the clerks could have been potentially uh, siding with more of the liberal side of the case. And they were kind of like just snagged a couple pictures and they were like to get a load of this, get a load of what the Supreme Court's about to do. Uh, so that could be a motivation. There's there's several other motivations. Um, and I think what makes this so interesting is that no one really saw this coming. Like John Roberts, ha for for all the bullshit you give the Supreme Court for having the seven to three advantage, John Roberts has been very uh, has played the swing 
vote justice role really well. He he has sided with the liberals on a lot of social justice issues uh, through this court, and he hasn't. The, the court really hasn't been as conservative as, it may, as maybe someone thought it would back, you know, 2017, 2018, when Kavanaugh and Barrett were kind of put into place. The court hasn't necessarily been as conservative as people thought. Uh, John Roberts has swung over to to the left quite a few. To the left side of the justices quite a few times and that's been a pretty interesting development as well so the fact that this was a i believe this was a seven to three i want to say seven to two i've i don't know exactly what the uh uh like what the voting looked like it might have been a six to three vote uh in favor of this abortion being unconstitutional um but whatever is going on is like it's kind of crazy to think about because Roberts has been someone that in the past has sided pro uh, pro choice, uh, which is relatively interesting. But also, here's the thing about this whole entire situation that makes it so uh, hard to describe right now because the the decision is going to be finalized in June. Okay, it's May 9th today. There's plenty of time for the justices to have seen like the public opinion and see how absolutely outraged people are in America and that opinion to change. And I could totally see it happening. It's more likely than you probably think. You know, I get the whole argument of like, oh, you know, it's America and uh, in America, like the justice system is not going to be um it's not going to be affected by public opinion and public opinion will not sway the way the court rules. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like in an ideal world. Yes. But also will be sitting back and looking at what exactly is going on. They're probably first of all pissed that their document got leaked, but also they're looking at this whole situation and they're like, Holy crap. America is teetering. I mean, this is dividing groups of people against one another and people are not happy with the results of this situation. And there's a loud, I would say, a loud majority of individuals who are not with this uh, ruling. And it's kind of different to what we've seen uh, with the Supreme Court because in the past, like in this current iteration of the court that we see, the John Roberts court, it's really been quite a calm bunch of justices. They've kind of put their decisions out. There hasn't been anything that's been too landmark, too controversial. It's just kind of everything is kind of slid under the rug. Nothing has really made the national mainstream headlines. But all of a sudden now you have abortion in the conversation and you have uh, there's now basically been this narrative uh, that's out there and that's very visible to everyone that the court is looking to rule in favor of pro-life individuals, which really is so different than anything that the Roberts court has done so far in its I would say in this current iteration, like the four years that 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 basically things have been going down. So this is really interesting to see. Uh, this is going to be kind of one of the first landmark rulings for this court. So this ruling could really define uh, a lot of other potential uh, cases down the pipeline, which is why I see a lot of people uh, pretty concerned over this ruling. But also, listen. I'm here to be impartial, right? I, I understand the side of the individuals of women uh, going out there and protesting and saying that it's my body, my choice, totally, 100%. Uh, there's also another side to this situation, which comes to the constitutional law perspective, which 
which is something that I want to explain right now, because let's break down the Supreme Court justices. If I'm looking at Gen Z and I'm looking at the target demographic of this podcast, but I'm also looking at everybody who listens to this, no one, if you were to go right now out into the middle of the street and ask someone to name all 10 Supreme Court justices, they would tell you, they would maybe be able to name three. Uh, If they were really politically active, maybe seven or eight. But, uh, you know, if they were really politically active, maybe four or five, I'm talking about the average person. Listen, you talk to someone who, you know, majors in political science, obviously the conversation is different. But for the most part, if you talk to an average person, they can maybe name three off the top of their head. If not, maybe one. So the thing you have to understand about this whole leaked uh, Roe v. Wade upheaval uh, overturning situation is you have to understand the people behind the, situ- the the court. And I think this is critical in understanding just any Supreme Court decision, any Supreme Court dynamic that's going down. You have to understand the people behind the court. So let me give you kind of my version of like the Gen Z sort of high school breakdown of the justices. I want to do this real quick. Uh, so let's do it. Okay, so let's start with Clarence Thomas, aka Gen Z's most hated justice. Why do I say this? He is the justice that basically everyone that's listening to this podcast that is left-leaning hates. He is one of the most right-leaning justices ever seen in the history of the Supreme Court, one of the most conservative justices seen in Supreme Court history, and has remained staunchly conservative through his tenure in the Supreme Court since the 90s. Uh, He's had a sexual harassment trial against him. Basically, uh, for those of you that followed along with the Brett Kavanaugh trial back in 2019, um, was it 2018? Back back in 2018, you guys would know that Clarence Thomas was kind of the last one to go through that back in 1993 with Anita Hill. If you talk to your parents, they know who Clarence Thomas is. They know exactly what went down with the trial and all of that stuff. So he was our parents' version of Brett Kavanaugh. Not a lot of people like him. He didn't have a great public opinion with the whole trial that went down. He was barely confirmed into the Supreme Court. And he has remained one of the more conservative justices on the court. So, so Gen Z, we we don't, you know, they don't really like Clarence Thomas. Let's go to Brett Kavanaugh because I feel like that's the easiest one to discuss. Uh, he's another, you know, as we know, pretty staunch right leaning justice. Uh, he's had his fair share of the past with his sexual harassment uh, kind of accusations getting tied into his confirmation. Uh, eventually, though, he his confirmation hearing, despite how loud it was with social media and all of this stuff, uh, passed. And since he's been in the Supreme Court, he's been a relatively quiet justice. Uh, he obviously has been a pretty partisan figure, if you know you kind of know how the Senate has run and how they look at him and view him and all of these things. Um, but since he's one of the newer justices, he kind of tends to side with Roberts, who is the chief justice, and we're going to talk about him next. So who is John Roberts? John Roberts is what I like to call the floater in high school. You know how in high school, when you had uh, your friend groups, there would be like the, the people who were like really integrated within a specific friend group, and then there would be like the super popular ones, like everybody knew, and then there was like the kid who like was friends with everybody but was never really in a group. That's who John Roberts is in regards to the Supreme Court. John Roberts is the floater of high school. Uh, John Roberts is the floater of the court. He's the swing vote of the Supreme Court. So he 
he is he tends to side with conservative justices more of the time but he has been known to swing over to the left and it's his job kind of as the chief justice to sort of maintain the pulse of the court go with what the other justices are feeling um and sort of make those decisions go through he Fun fact, John Roberts, way back in the day, is one of uh, is most famously known for the guy who upheld Obamacare in the Supreme Court. Uh, and he's kind of been the middle ground for justices in regards to the social justice cases that have came through the Supreme Court amongst various other ones. Uh, so he's the floater. He kind of floats around to the left, floats around to the right. He sort of and he's basically the guy who's controlling all of this chaos. Right. You have Clarence Thomas on one side. You've got the liberal justices on the other. And we're going to get into the liberal justices in just a second. But John Roberts is the guy that's trying to hold everything together. Then you have Elena Kagan. Elena Kagan is kind of one of the cool old ladies of the court. Uh, she's been there quite a while. Um and she's sort of like the cool old like mom. She's like the cool mom of the group. Uh, she's super liberal. Um, and she she's kind of on the left. She was nominated by uh, Bill Clinton, I believe. And she's basically what her role right now in the court is. is since Ruth Bader Ginsburg unfortunately passed away recently, she's sort of holding that upholding that RBG legacy in a lot of ways with her opinions and the way she writes things. She's pretty socially liberal. Uh, and all of these things. And so her and her compatriot that we're going to talk about next have been really dug in on being kind of the uh, social left sort of wing of the court. Then you have Sonia Sotomayor, who's best friends with Elena Kagan, right? Not, I don't know if they're best friends in real life, but on the court, in terms of their decisions and where they lean, they're best friends. So like they're, they're their own little group. And Sonia Sotomayor was nominated by Barack Obama. She was the first Hispanic justice to sit on the court. Um, so she's kind of a big deal when it comes to diversity and all of that stuff. Uh, she is one of the younger liberal justices, so she has sided uh, definitely more with the social justice wing with Elena Kagan and the last justice that we're going to talk about. Uh, so she's kind of one of the other sort of uh, friends of the liberal friend group that's really dug in uh, and they just kind of follow each other's echo chamber. Then you have Stephen Breyer. Okay, Stephen Breyer. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Breyer is the guy who's just about to leave. He just he just wants to get the hell out of here. In June, he is going to be officially retired. He's going to be taken off the Supreme Court and replaced with Kintaji Brown-Jackson, who was recently confirmed as the Supreme Court justice replacement for Stephen Breyer. And what do you need to know about Stephen Breyer? Not really too much because, I mean, he's retiring. He's just kind of, he, he, he is from San Francisco, which is fantastic. And I love that. Uh, but the man could also give two less shits. I think he wants this thing to be over. He wants to go to retirement and enjoy his life. And who can blame him? Uh, he's He just kind of went with his fellow liberals, Kagan and Sotomayor, who were like his either kind of two liberal friends on the court. And yeah, but let's make this very clear for everyone. I Because I've seen a lot of people being like, where's Kintaji Brown Jackson in the middle of all this? Kintaji Brown Jackson has not taken Breyer's place yet. She will soon when this whole when this court session ends and when all of these decisions come out from this past year, uh, Kentaji Brown Jackson will officially take the spot of Stephen Breyer on the court. But she's not but she's not quite there yet. So we talked a little bit about the liberal justices, but then there's a couple more. Uh, there's a few more justices we got to get through. There is there's Amy Coney Barrett who uh, was nominated by Donald Trump. She's kind of one of the younger uh, Republican people. 
the woman, in my opinion, who looks like an evil Pam Beasley, but she's also conservative. Um, she's been pro-life from the start. And if you watched her confirmation hearing, she's been very dug in on that. She has a stance that has been very public and clear. Do not expect her to switch her vote. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what you need to know about Amy Coney Barrett. She's very much ingrained within this uh, Republican group uh, of justice friends or not Republican. I won't even say Republican, just right, because, you know, it's right and left. There's no political party leanings in the uh, uh, justice system, uh, at least what we like to think. And then there's Samuel Alito. Samuel Alito is the guy who wrote this opinion. Uh, he's been pretty conservative. He's been on the right for uh, a significant amount of time. Um, and he's the man who wrote the opinion and was designated to represent this kind of majority clan of individuals that decided to vote uh, to uphold the Roe v. Wade opinion. He was nominated by George W. Bush way in the early 2000s. Uh, so he he kind of has that like, early 2000s conservativeness to him where he is conservative but at the same time like he's uh he's very he's very fair and i think what i what struck me about reading the coverage and also like reading the opinion of Alito is that the opinion uh, you may disagree with it but he does bring up some valid points in terms of a constitutional law standpoint that really do um make sense uh which is which is interesting. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And then you got the last justice you got is Neil Gorsuch. And Neil Gorsuch was a Donald Trump uh, court nominee, kind of one of the more boring uh, members of the Supreme Court. Gives off a very preacher vibe. Uh, he, but he's not like a cool preacher. He's just kind of a normal preacher. Um, and yeah, he's he, that's just kind of describes who he is as a person. He's a Bible beater. He's kind of conservative. Uh, keeps to himself, pretty pretty quiet uh, personality, nothing crazy. So those are the justices, the 10 justices. said There's seven uh, conservative ones and three liberal ones is how the court stands right now. And the thing is, all of these justices, they have their own personalities, they have their own temperaments, and, and the reality is these 10 people probably control the country more than most Americans realize in terms of the fact that they interpret the laws and put out decisions that really in turn shape the laws of the United States. And they, like everyone else, through decisions and disagreements, have to figure out how to navigate this leak. Because the Alito draft was leaked, right? And that could mean there is some movement on the court. We talked about political, we talked about public opinion. We talked about the way this has been received. How how are these justices going to operate now that this case has been leaked to everybody? How how the hell are they gonna just uh, are they gonna stay the same? Are they just gonna be like, yo, like we're gonna we're we already have our opinion. Alito uh, Samuel Alito wrote the first draft and the majority opinion. We're just gonna kind of uh stick with the same. Or are there justices like John Roberts? who could potentially shift. And that's what I'm going to talk about next is the pro-choicers saving grace. Because I know that's a lot of you. A lot of you out here are sitting here and saying, what needs to happen for this, for Roe v. Wade to stay Roe v. Wade? What needs to happen? So right now, what you're looking at is a 7-3 vote for in favor of, uphe uh, of sorry, overturning Roe v. Wade. Okay, so... All seven of the conservative justices voted on one side and the three liberal justices voted against it. Uh, but here's the thing about the conservative justices. We kind of described a lot of them. We don't think I don't think personally, if, if it happens, I would pay you a million dollars. Clarence Thomas is not switching. 
fucking Amy Coney Barrett is not switching. There's a bunch of conservative justices who are not going to switch. But the three, in my opinion, that have the biggest shot of switching are John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, and Neil Gorsuch. These are the three that may move the needle, that may move here, may move there. John Roberts, I mean, we talked about this kind of at length when we were discussing the justices. I think John Roberts has the potential to move just because of the fact that he is the swing vote and he is the type of guy that is influenced by the outside. Uh, and potentially the way that this whole situation has gone down, I can see John Roberts flipping his vote to the other side. Brett Kavanaugh, why why do I think why do I think Brett Kavanaugh can switch? I really don't think Brett Kavanaugh is going to move uh, to the left. It's highly unlikely. Uh, he's proven time and time again in his other decisions when he was a district court justice and uh, other and serving in law in other capacities that he is pro life and he is going to continue to defend those sort of fundamental principles. Um, that being said, though, I think the guy that could switch and no one could see coming is Neil Gorsuch, the cool preacher. Um, I think Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch has been a little more lenient than Kavanaugh. He's kind of sided with the liberals a few times on the court, and he's sort of uh, he's not like a hardline conservative is the way I would. He is a hardline conservative, but he kind of has his uh, loopholes and his ways to kind of uh, that that he does agree with the liberals in some extents. Um, but it could happen. I would say more likely that Gorsuch swips, uh, Gorsuch flips than Kavanaugh, but it's, it's still a very, uh, unlikely decision in my opinion to, uh, flip back to Roe v. Wade being upheld. Uh, the more I think about it, I, and knowing how these justices have voted in the past, like it's going to be extremely tough to flip this vote. It's seven to three right now. You need two justices from the conservative side to flip, to the liberal side in order to make this a 5-4 decision in favor of the liberal uh in in favor of the liberal wing of the court. Um everyone has sort of seen the public outcry in regards to this draft. It seems like there is a lot of people in this country that uh wants want Roe v. Wade to stay. Uh so let's see if I'm interested to see how much of the factor that public opinion is going to play into the court's uh decision here. Uh I could again, I could see I, I think what's weird about this entire thing is how, how which one of the justices is really going to be affected by public opinion. And if it's it could totally be John Roberts, like we said, he's the floater. He kind of likes to move around. And if people are telling him that this might, you know, a lot of people in the public are are kind of shifting him towards one direction, he may shift in that direction. But I think another person that really is swayed by public opinion is Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, this is the dude whose trial, who basically since day one has been a public figure, uh, just based on the sexual harassment and based on the fact that, uh, you know, his confirmation hearings were so vocal and so public that Brett Kavanaugh may be in his head on this one. He may really want to just be like, yo, cut me a break. Like maybe I'll just side with the liberals to kind of get them off my back or whatever. I don't know. It's a potential. He's the one to be concerned about his name. His name has been dragged through the mud for years. And if he were to flip on this decision, how ironic would that be? If Brett Kavanaugh flips and you're looking at a five, Brett Kavanaugh, John Roberts, hypothetically switch. You're looking at a five, four decision to uphold Roe v. Wade. Uh, how does the narrative on Brett Kavanaugh shift? He goes from absolute 
man whore to <laughs> guy who can do no wrong. Like it's, I think, I think Brett Kavanaugh has it in the back of his head, the back of his mind. It may not be there, but it may be in the back of his mind that public opinion, you know, if he were to, if he were to flip, if he were to flip, there would be a lot of people out there that uh, would kind of let the the stuff that happened in the past slide a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. And he's also been actively working against, uh, or, or sorry, he's also been actively trying to work on uh, combating against that public fiery temperament that was kind of revealed sort of uh, in the last, uh, in his confirmation trial and, and the stuff that went super public. So he's been really wanting to make this shit go away. And what's the way to do that? Well, if you were to vote for Roe v. Wade, I, I mean, listen, I understand that all of this is so speculative and all of this stuff, and I can't go into the justices' heads. I don't have sources. I'm not a political journalist. But pro-choice is saving grace really comes down to either John Roberts, John Roberts and a friend of his basically flipping. And who is that friend that's most likely to flip? It's either Kavanaugh or Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch is the hardline preacher conservative and then you have Brett Kavanaugh, who has a lot of people out there, a lot of people on the left wing who are pretty concerned about his reputation, uh, who are not happy that he's on the court. If he flips his vote tomorrow, he gets rid of that public media voice. But also, I, you know, he has his own views. He's upheld those views for a very long time. And will he change? It's all it's all a very interesting conversation and questions that we can have. But that's the pro-choice. I believe uh, they're saving grace. Uh, if you are pro-choice and you want this thing to switch, it's it's Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts that you really got to bang on here. But let's look at Roe v. Wade for a second because I feel like this is the interesting uh, sort of thing right if you want to understand what's going on right now with the up with the uh, overturning of roe v wade you have to understand what the hell roe v wade is in the first place so let's get right into it what is roe v wade for those of you that don't know roe v wade was the case that basically made abortion constitutional in this country it's what's led organizations like planned parenthood it's what's led uh a lot of different sexual health organizations organizations to get government funding and also to have uh, a certain sort of clout, not clout, but a certain sort of standing within the United States. Uh, Roe v. Wade was passed way back in 1970. It was a blowout vote at the time, seven to two. Um, and for some reason, when I before I looked into it, I thought it was a lot closer. I thought it was more of like a five to four, like edging vote. But it really is a true blowout if you look at it in terms of the different justices on the different sides of the court agreeing with one another. Uh, this was back in the days when like Thurgood Marshall was still on the court and Warren Berger, uh, William Rehnquist, and all of these people. And there were justices on the right and justices on the left that all single handedly agreed that. Uh, voting for an abortion, voting uh, to basically getting an abortion was constitutional. And the way that they argued it, the way that the opinion is written in Roe v. Wade um, is very interesting. And I want to get into that now. The fundamental constitutional question that was basically being asked in Roe was, does the Constitution have the right to terminate her pregnancy by abortion? That's the question. It was, does the Constitution have the right to terminate her pregnancy by abortion? And the justices basically came to the conclusion that due to the 14th Amendment, she, the Constitution does not have a right uh, 
to basically regulate women's bodies. Um, And the 14th Amendment was cited in the decision. And the 14th Amendment basically says that everyone must be equally protected by the law, regardless of gender, race, sex, etc., etc. And the right to privacy clause was sort of cited in the Roe v. Wade decision, basically that you have the right to have express that sort of part of your identity in whatever way that you please. And women, by that sort of logic and by that clause, are allowed a right to privacy when it comes to their decisions in regards to their pregnancies, is what the court found. They basically looked at the 14th Amendment, broke it all down, and found that there were links to the fact that women are uh, allowed privacy within their decisions of in regards to having a child or not. So that was what was cited way back in 1970. Samuel Alito now in 2022, obviously had to counter that. And basically, he had to give his reasoning for why Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which was another case that upheld Roe v. Wade, uh, are basically wrong. And why and and why, why are they wrong? So Alito basically said that the reasoning uh, that abortion rights continues to get upheld by the court is weak. And the things that he cited uh, and he stated in his argument was that Roe was extremely loose in the way that it interpreted the Constitution. And it cited several parts of several different amendments to get that privacy clause. The privacy clause isn't just written within the 14th Amendment. It's written in uh, various different amendments. And he ba- basically what Alito found was that there were a lot of different amendments that were cited to basically give this loose connection, at least in his mind, that abortion and the right to privacy was uh, not like the Constitution did not have the right to impede on a woman's right to privacy to make a decision in regards to their abortion. So that was uh, Samuel Alito's sort of thing. But you also have to look at it from the way that Samuel Alito is looking at the Constitution, because Samuel Alito, the the way the right and the left work on the court is pretty weird, Uh, because the left, the way the left looks at the court is that, oh, this is the Constitution, and we live in a society that's ever-changing. There's a lot of context. There's a lot of different situations that are happening, and we have to interpret the Constitution based on the time that we are in. And then you have a lot of justices on the right who are people called constitutional fundamentalists that look at the Constitution and say the founding fathers of this country wanted things to run X, Y, and Z. And they wrote these rules so that we have to follow them word for word. And so a lot of people on the right tend to be more constitutional fundamentalists, while people on the left tend to be people who are willing and more open to interpret the Constitution into various things. So basically, Samuel Alito is a constitutional fundamentalist. He is someone that by the very end, uh, uh, that basically is very by the book. He's very he's looking at the Constitution, he's looking at the rules, and he's saying what exactly in these rules allows me to, you know, interpret x y and z and one of the main notes that he makes in regards to uh overturning roe v wade is that the 14th amendment was passed in 1858 or 1868 uh and many states at the time so the 14th amendment you know the one that we talked about that uh women should not be segregated against and that also they had the right to privacy. Basically, in 1868, what Alito, Samuel Alito said was that the 14th Amendment was passed and the right to privacy clause was included in that because of the fact that medical advances were so low at that time and that many states legalized abortion in order to prevent the mother's life from being taken. They didn't want to make sure, like, 
if the mom really didn't want to have the baby, they didn't want uh, the mom to die while getting rid of the child. They wanted to make sure that it was as safe process as possible uh, or as safe as it could have been back in 1868 because, let's be real, medical advances weren't that safe at that point. So Samuel Alito's, so that was what Samuel Alito said. Um, but what I found interesting was that I think Samuel Alito's interpretation may give a little bit of a loophole here when it comes to abortion. He basically is saying, listen, abortion should not exist uh, if you know, you're just trying to get it just because, right? If you are trying to get an abortion because you can't afford to have this baby or whatever you know, uh, external circumstances are going on in a woman's life, you shouldn't be able to get an abortion. But, but if the women's life, if the woman's life is in danger and there's some medical emergency that may uh, basically kill the woman, then an abortion might be in order. That's basically what this interpretation is saying. So in theory, a lot of the people who are upset about this think abortion is going to be banned, period. But the reality is, it probably is going to be in some sort of extent of things. Abortion will continue to be there. It just will be there in different cases. Um, and abortion will be allowed uh, if it is a medical emergency, at least according to Samuel Alito's interpretation of uh, this thing and through his opinion from what I have read and I have gathered. I think that abortion will remain a part of the U.S. Or sorry, the, uh, that abortion will remain um like available to women that uh need it in terms of like a really big medical emergency but i don't think you're just going to be able to have the choice to get an abortion which i think is still i mean i'll get into my opinion later okay like but we'll, we'll talk about my opinion i promise at the end um so but i want to talk about all of the various different situations going on because joe biden and the white house are the other sort of part of this and I want to go through what they think real quick, because they are heavily against this decision. Both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have come out and said that this decision made by the court, if true, is um, basically completely against what their administration stands for. And their administration is going to continue to try to enforce rules that are, um, you know, in defense of Roe v. Wade and all of these things. But here, and and they've, you know, Joe Biden has basically come out on multiple occasions and and said those and said that his administration was going to do whatever it took to defend Roe v. Wade and and all of that stuff. But they aren't really providing any reasoning on how they intend to do that whatsoever. But that's besides the point, right? Uh, it's just probably at this point, it's a lot of political talk because they're just trying to defend their reputation. They're going on a full PR tour saying that abortion won't be banned in a lot of progressive states and all of these things. Um, but here's the funniest part of this whole entire situation. Joe Biden hasn't always been this pro-choice advocate that you may expect him to be. Because way back in the 1970s, Joe, Joe Biden has been quoted as saying that women should, quote, not have the sole right to decide what happens to their bodies. He said that back in the 1970s on the record. You can go look this up. He has said that women don't have the sole right uh, to determine what happens to their bodies. Joe Biden in the 1970s and 80s has also been on the record voting against Roe v. Wade uh, with several different laws that were put through Congress during this time period, whether that be funding towards organizations like Planned Parenthood, whether that be towards funding of uh, abortion clinics, whatever that may be. Joe Biden has been on the record voting against abortion rules way back, 70s and 80s. It, 
advantages of having a president with a long political career. You can track their votes. So don't act like Joe Biden is going to defend your rights as women, right? I'm talking to the women here. Guys, women, Joe Biden won't do shit. Joe Biden, Joe Biden has been against abortion in the past. Who is to say that he he's the most like freaking backtracking Democrat you've seen? Don't expect him to defend it. He's been against this before. Who is to say that his opinion won't? I mean, like, who's to say that he's just going to uh, who's to say he just flips on a dime? This is all political bullshit. He's just playing the game because he's a Democratic presidential candidate and the Democratic Party has shifted towards pro-choice. So he's just shifted towards pro-choice. I don't really think Joe Biden personally believes it. If Joe Biden if Joe Biden had the choice, I think he'd just be like, eh, eh this isn't really an issue that matters to me. Right? Here's, and, and also, this is why I think this whole Joe Biden's uh, perspective on the situation is super important. It's because Joe Biden may sign an executive order and this whole thing may go away. Right. If Joe Biden signs an executive order tomorrow saying that abortion is constitutional, everyone has to listen to that executive order. It's the kind of check and balance system of our government between the legislative, judicial and the executive. And Joe Biden can sign an executive order, but the whole thing could go away and the whole thing could go away. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, bro. Here is the thing. Joe Biden's been on the record anti-abortion. He's been on the record anti-abortion back in the 70s and the 80s. Who is to say that those biases won't creep in in 2022 and he's not going to sign the executive order? He might not sign an executive order. If Roe v. Wade gets overturned, Joe Biden may not sign an executive order because he feels a certain type of way. He feels a certain type of way. Away. That's true. He does. He does. Right? And, and that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I highly doubt Joe. I, I don't think Joe Biden will sign an executive order completely banning abortion. I think he's going to backtrack if this whole situation goes awry. And also, here's the other thing that he, Joe Biden could potentially do. He could, could you know, put a bill through Congress. But, I mean, we've seen the way fucking Congress works. They don't do shit. They just sit there. They're going to twiddle their thumbs. They're going to say no because they're hyper-partisan, not willing to have a conversation. And, yeah, so that's not going to happen. Joe Biden won't be able to pass a bill about abortion through Congress. You say abortion, Mitch McConnell's like, I don't believe in this rule. Boom. So Joe Biden's going to have to get real creative uh, to figure out his legislation if he wants to do it, because I don't think it's merely possible at this point. Um, I think it's very, very difficult, uh, even though publicly they're against this Roe v. Wade choice that's going on. I think privately they're freaking out because. You know, they want to make sure that they're the moderate Democrat and, you know, playing both sides of the fence like they've been doing. How's it going to work? I'm, I'm curious. Curious to see how this whole thing works out. But let's go through the two hypothetical situations. I want to go through these real fast. These will be really quick. So what is going to happen? Hypothetically, next month, Roe v. Wade is overturned. OK, and, you know, what is going to happen? What is going to happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned like we all expect? Well, I think we all know. Then the, then the rights of the abortion. So if the decision is approved, if this decision that stands right now is the one that goes through the court, here's, here's what happens. The rights of abortions move to the states. It's a state's rights decision, which I don't necessarily really have a problem with. I don't really believe in the federal government. I think the states should be able to come up with their own rules. Do, how I feel about abortion is different than how I feel about states' rights. 
But the abortion, the rights of abortions would not be a federal government issue. It would transfer to the state. So the states would have their own sort of decisions on what to do. And a lot of the progressive states, e.g. California, Massachusetts, New York, etc., would basically remain the same. Abortion would be legal. Planned Parenthood would still be a thing, etc., etc. They'll continue that abortion funding. But the other states, the more conservative states, swing states, etc., we're not, I'm not so sure about how this whole thing is going to happen. I think the really conservative states like Alabama, maybe Texas with Greg Abbott, Florida with Ron DeSantis are going to try to phase out abortion as fast as they possibly can. And so that is going to cause a lot of outrage throughout this country. But here's the funny issue is that abortion was never an issue in this country. It wasn't an issue until the Christian. Like I talked about this on episode nine of the Tringavi show. Go check it out. Historical context of abortion. Abortion was never an issue until the 1960s when the Christian fundamentalists were like, we don't believe in abortion. And they brought it to the table and they had their televangelists like Jerry Falwell and all of these people talking their message, spreading their narratives through the radio waves and all of these things. Abortion was never an issue until people brought it up, until a group of Christians brought it up. And now it's one of the most tearing issues in this country. I think that's so funny. People people were doing whatever the hell they wanted. It was technically legal in a lot of states uh, for the longest time. It, the, abortion wasn't an issue for a really long time. But the Christian fundamentalists started just hitting everybody up and started just going after this one issue. And so the higher and higher they got in government, the more and more it became an issue because it started threatening people's political positions. But here's the thing. No, nothing is ever a political issue until someone brings it up. Right. I I don't know. Uh, And then there's a big group of people that starts getting involved in it. But that's a conversation for another day. So that'll basically that's what's going to happen if Rhodes overturned. The protest will continue. There's going to be uh, the, the abortion rights will be transferred to the states. And there's going to be a lot more flexibility in regards to all of that. What is going to happen if Roe v. Wade is upheld? What is the situation, right? If Roe v. Wade is upheld, then I guess there's going to be a huge sigh of relief within this fucking country. Cue all the beautiful Canva thumbnails and infographics. People will move on to their next fucking Instagram quest to save the world. That's what's going to happen if Roe v. Wade's overturned. If Roe v. Wade uh, stays the same, right? They're going to push all the, uh, we are, we did this. This was all us. The Supreme Court didn't do shit. We pushed our public opinion on everyone, and this is why we got to where we are. That's what's going to happen. Um, like, I don't know. That's truly what will probably happen. If the, if the decision stays, changes and Roe v. Wade continues to be upheld, then you know, you're going to get all those beautiful pictures for about two days, and then people are going to move the fuck on to whatever it is Instagram's talking about the next month. And I'm going to keep pushing this narrative to people. Uh, This is the narrative that I believe in the most. And that is, please, for the love of God, don't get caught up in Instagram caption bullshit. Don't get caught up in this (laughs) fucking infographic stuff. Keep doing the research. Do the work. Read the articles. I know it takes time. I know you don't want to. I know there's a million other things in the world that you would rather do. But take 15 minutes out of your day, man. Read about the stuff that's going on. Listen to the Daily, which is the New York Times kind of trending news topics. And then like pick an issue that interests you and read about it for like 20 minutes. Okay? 20 minutes in your day isn't going to do anything. Keep updated on the world. But like 
and just keep reading, keep consuming, keep listening, and just keep having conversations with your friends and whoever about the stuff that's going on. Uh, but the reality is most of the people, if Roe v. Wade, the decision changes and it's upheld, people are just going to sigh relief. They're going to pat each other on the back. They're going to celebrate for a day and they're going to move on because that's just life. And that's what happens in life. But listen, who is really going to be affected by this Roe v. Wade decision? I think this is the main thing that I really wanted to bring to the table here. Who the hell is going to be affected by this? Let's say this decision goes through tomorrow. Who is going to be affected? Here's where a lot of people are going to get really fucking pissed. <laughs> I think this is, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be mad. Hot take. I don't think this Roe v. Wade decision is going to affect all women. I really don't. I think this issue, is, I don't think this issue affects every single woman. I don't think abortion is actually going to affect the group of people that are out on the Capitol steps fighting this. Why? Let's get into it. Who are the women right now that are fighting this issue in public? It's the women, for the most part, for the most part. Listen, there's minorities and everything. But who, for the most part, are, is fighting this issue? It's white women who are middle to upper middle class, college educated, have a decent amount of money, and come from probably decent homes. For the most part, for the most part. These are the women that are fighting for it, for the most part. Like I'm saying, like going out and protesting and really, you know, making this a thing. Those are the people who are fighting for this for the most part. Those women in the absolute worst case scenario of dating an abortion, they can move states. They can. They can. They can just drive their car. And if it's like if it's a matter of personal safety, they will figure out a way to get abortion because money buys options and money gives you ways to make sure that you can get whatever it is you need to get. I'm so sorry for the people that are against that take. But there are a lot of women out there who are saying this is going to affect every single woman. No, it's not. Abortion's not going to affect every single woman. Or this decision won't affect every single woman. But the and the people who are being most vocal about this actually aren't going to be affected by this issue for the most part. Because uh worse comes to worse, they will figure out a way because a lot of them have the money to do so. And Here's the thing, right? Most of the people who are fighting for this are affluent white women. <laughs> like, let's be real. The people who this is going to affect are the poor women who are working multiple jobs, who are probably single parents, who one mistake away from just, you know, utterly, uh, utter terribleness in their lives. Like, those are the people who are being affected, but they, they're not out there fighting because they're out just trying to grind and like live a, like just live a decent life. That's what's going on with them. But there's a lot. And and listen, I understand there's going to be so many people on all the apps who are going to be like, this is a fucking mansplainer. He doesn't know shit. He's just a fucking, he's a man. What the fuck is this dude saying? And I totally understand that. I totally understand. I totally get it. But just think about it. Just think about it for a second. There are a lot of women that this issue is never going to affect in their lives. Truly, truly speaking, it, that is the honest to God truth. Just think of, think of, critically think, who is this really going to affect? And it's poor women who are working multiple jobs because they might get involved in a situation where there's a baby inside of them and they need to get rid of it for whatever reason, but they can't because they don't have the money, they don't have the resources, they don't have anything, and the state doesn't provide that for them. And I understand this is a shallow take. Oh, abortion isn't going to affect every woman, blah, 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 blah. But listen, it's the truth. 
the people who are going to get affected by this decision the most are the poor women, not the middle class women, not the upper middle class women, not the affluent white women living in Los Angeles drinking matcha lattes. Hell no. This is going to affect the women that are grinding to make a dollar all across this country. Nobody else. That's the truth. I said it. I said it here. So the, the girls were Instagram activism, activisming for the most part, saying this issue affects them. It doesn't. It truly doesn't. Well, who it truly affects are the people who are the quietest, who can't talk about it because they're too busy living their lives. So yes, absolutely. Be an activist for women. Fight the good fight. Totally. But don't act like you are the one being affected by it. Don't act like this issue affects every single woman on the face of plan on the face of the United States of America because it doesn't. It doesn't and it most likely won't affect the person who is Instagram activisming because the people who are Instagram activisming are mostly middle like I explained earlier. So, yeah. That's just food for thought. Just critically think about your place in society before you make all these bold, you know, bold claims. But let's get into my opinion. Because I think people want to know. They probably think I'm fucking conservative. <laughs> I want to make this so clear. This is my opinion. And I'm going to do this really quickly. As much as all of you probably think I'm pro-life and just conservative and all of this, I'm probably the most pro-choice person you'll ever meet in your life. And frankly, where this comes down to is my philosophy when it comes to government and law is very, very simple. I think everyone should be given an equal chance. This is philosophical slash political. So do it, do it this what you will. I think everyone should be given a fair chance and people can do whatever the fuck they want in society. I don't care whatever it is you do, as long as you're not hurting yourselves and others. Or as long as you're not hurting yourself or as long as you're not hurting others, do whatever the fuck you want and be given an equal chance. That's the true two true things that I believe in. And my opinion is one that I believe abortion needs to exist because of medical reasons. Uh, I don't believe that the, like, I think that women should, you know, be able to have that if they're being affected by it uh, medically. And I also don't believe in the government controlling anybody's body, male, female, transgender. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care who the hell you are. The, the government shouldn't control your body. That's fucking weird. That's weird. It's just weird. Like, I, I just like kind of get like, I don't want the fucking I don't want Paul Ryan controlling my body like if I was a woman. Like, hell no. Hell no. And I get it. Like, it's just fucking stupid. So the government like that's my opinion. And it's just weird that the government needs to step in on an issue in regards to like a medical decision in regards to your body. Like, you should just kind of be able to do whatever you want. And the conclusion for me is that you should be allowed to do whatever you want in regards to abortion. Have it. Don't have it. I don't care. Um, you should be able to do whatever you want and not judge anyone for the choice that they make, right? Because that's their decision. And the thing is with pro-life that pisses me off the most is that it's imposing your shit on other people. You are saying, I believe in pro-life and this and that and that, and this is why I'm right. And we need to keep all lives. And you're not allowing that person to make a choice, the other person. And so they feel forced. So that's the thing that I like about pro-choice is like, you can keep the baby. Sure, that's an option. But you can also get rid of it if you'd like. That's also an option. So you have the best of both worlds. In my opinion, I understand there are Christian fundamentalists out there that are probably going to come for me. But I think, in my opinion, you got the best of both worlds. 
I've done too much research on abortion, man. And for good reason. I think it's one of those things that like we're going to continue to discuss for 20 years. It's going to continue to be a crazy complicated issue. And I'm glad I'm doing the research on it because uh, it's super partisan in most places if you even talk about it. So it's not even worth having a civil conversation because everyone just gets heated. But I think it's worth having that discussion and that conversation. And with that, Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Changavi Show. Changavi Show 34 is wrapped up and in the books. I appreciate all of you for listening. Thank you so much. If you guys like the episode, feel free to hit the like button. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Spotify, feel free to hit the follow button. YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. We're slowly growing, but it's happening. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave me a review as well. I would much appreciate that. Uh, and if you're on any other social, and if you're on any other the podcasting platforms, just you know, feel free to hit the like, share it with your friends, whatever. I would be so honored uh, for the people that got to listen to this because it's an honor to make these episodes for all of you. Um, in regards to social media, my links are down below, so go hit the follow. I got Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram at the Changavi Show on all of those platforms. You can hit the like button, you can hit the follow button uh, on Instagram and TikTok. I post the most. Um, and on Facebook and Twitter, I'm working on it, but, uh, not a lot there, but anyway, that is all I have. Thank you guys so much for paying attention. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys learned something today. Uh, and that's Shingabi show episode 34 abort mission. Should we, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see, but that's all I got. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate all of you signing off from my parents' house. Anuch Chingabi from the Bay area. Peace.